You are listening to the Marnie on the Move podcast flashback series, where we will be bringing you some of our favorite, most popular episodes from the archives. It's a blast from the past. A lot of our ideas come internally here, just in our headquarters office. I did a back of the napkin calculation. We have some like 3 million kilometers of cycling experience internally. We can come up with a lot of our ideas on our own, but 95% of the stuff we come up with is coming from identifying an improvement or a need that we can do. Those ideas usually come to you when you're out riding and then coming back and trying to engineer that. That was Steve Smith. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome and welcome back. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I am so psyched to bring you today's guest, Steve Smith, the global brand manager at Castelli, one of the world's leading cycling apparel brands, and yes, one of my favorites. If you are a pod frequenter, you know I'm currently obsessed with my style on the bike. From shoes, kits, helmets, you get it. I recognize this sounds a little silly, but as a fashion-loving athlete, graduate of Parsons School of Design, I feel a little validated with the authenticity I bring to this topic. I definitely require high-tech, top functionality in all of my apparel and gear. But why should fashion be compromised? Enter Castelli. Before we dive into the conversation, Shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Now, back to my conversation with Steve. On this episode of Marnie on the Move, Steve and I talk all things cycling from the brand's historical roots and influence in the cycling world tracing all the way back to the 19th century Italy, to its game-changing performance cycling apparel, including aerodynamics, weather protection, comfort, and 2021 summer styles. We discuss how Castelli has revolutionized design and functionality in performance cycling jerseys, jackets, shorts, and kits. From introducing Lycra to the sport in 1977 and reinventing the bib short, to designing the brand's world-famous 
Gabarese jersey and translating this functionality and high-tech design into clothing for everyday recreational cyclists and triathletes. Steve sheds light on the innovation process Castelli implements to remain ahead of the curve when it comes to technology and design for the pros and beyond. He offers invaluable tips on dressing for cycling success for all weather and seasons, how to layer for long rides, and how to dress like a pro with great style. Steve chats about his personal love of cycling, his favorite places to ride, the career path that led him to move to Italy for his current role at Castelli, where he lives, works, and rides in Bassano del Grappa. We talk about the training and rides that fuel Steve for success, some key lessons he has learned from cycling along the way, and what's on his bucket list for 2021. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's easy. Head over to your Apple app, click on Marnie on the Move, scroll through the many episodes, click on five stars, click on leave a review, and tell us what you love. Also, share what you're listening to on social, wherever you like to get social. Also, really easy. Just take a screenshot of what you're listening to on your phone or wherever you listen, or copy the link and post it on your social channels. And last but not least, don't forget to sign up for the download, our bi-weekly newsletter. Now, on to my conversation with Steve. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Steve. I hope there aren't any moments where I really geek out because I very much am into cycling and clothing. <laughs> we, we can geek out together. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can imagine. Cool. I mean, just looking at the background behind you, it's like pretty cool. I'm sure many of my listeners who are cyclists are very familiar with Castelli, but they may not be familiar with the brand's incredible history. And for my listeners who aren't familiar with Castelli... It's such a cool heritage brand, born in Italy. It's one of the, you know, Castelli is one of the top apparel brands in cycling and has been tailoring kits for champion cyclists since 1876, which I really didn't know until I started doing more research into the brand because I obviously I love all of the kits and apparel and clothing. How and why did this family run heritage brand and company begin and how has it evolved and grown over the decades? dial us in. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of an amazing story and it's cool to be part of it, but Castelli traces its roots, let's say that way back to 1876. It started out as a tailor shop in the center of Milan. I actually went and saw like where, where it all started. It's near the Castello Sforzesco there in Northwest Milan. From 1876 to the early 1900s, we don't really have a whole lot of information, unfortunately, but in the 1910s, they were already doing cycling clothing. Alfredo Bindo was one of the early champions and the first winner of the Giro d'Italia were all wearing stuff made by, back then it was, the company was called Vittorio Gianni. And into the 1920s and 30s, so the interwar period, they were doing clothing for Juventus and Inter, uh, AC Milan. So any of your football fans out there, soccer fans, and also doing costumes for the Milan Ballet. So all kinds of stuff. But I mean, that's what it was back then is you had these tailor shops making stuff. Just before the war, the company was taken over by one of the workers there, uh, Armando Castelli. And that's when the Castelli connection came along. And just after World War II, 
1947, his son was born, Maurizio Castelli. And Armando was was friends, close friends with Fausto Coppi, who was, he's, in Italian, they call him Il Campionissimo, so the, the champion of champions, kind of the Michael Jordan of cycling. And uh, so little Maurizio grew up with his dad following Fausto around Italy, around Europe to races. We have pictures of him at the Velo d'Iver uh, velodrome in Paris when he's like seven years old. Wow. So, you know, it's kind of a cool story. Maurizio grows up, he starts racing as a junior, wins an Italian national track championship. And at 19 years old, he got in an accident, got hit by a truck while he was training, broke his hip. So uh, the, the cycling career was over, goes to work with his dad. And his dad is very much old school wool craftsmanship tradition and Maurizio definitely had a artistic bent and innovation so I think their working together lasted for a couple years and Maurizio at this point he's like 22 years old and he's like can't hang out with my dad so he started that's when he set off on his own and started the Castelli brand and the, the Scorpion trademark so there was a period where there was actually Vittori Johnny still and Castelli what was it about 10-12 years that there was both brands and then they made up father came back, but they, they, and they still kept both brands alive till 88, 80 is the last time I've been able to find anything on Vittorio Johnny. Do you have the story behind the uh, Scorpio logo? Yeah, but it's not really fit to tell on a family podcast. But I'm Scorpio. <laughs> so <laughs> I love the logo. We think it's inspired by someone. There's a, there's a couple of different versions of it out there. So the one version says that he did it after his father because it was his father was a Scorpio as well. Yeah. But if you think about this, in the early 70s, this is a time that uh, Lacoste was taking off. So right. Maurizio was a clever enough marketeer that he figured out he didn't want to like an MC on the chest. So finding some other animal. So we it's super cool because we have the original design drawings and whatnot from the, the logo studies back from 72. That's amazing. Yeah. So Maurizio started off in 72. Yeah, in 72 with the Castelli brand name and started out making gloves and then built from there. And then he hit kind of on a creative streak, let's call him his, his, uh, his Einstein years uh, from 79 uh, or 78 actually it was is when he started making the first Lycra shorts. So this was crazy because it was right. it was all wool up until then. Because nobody wore Lycra and especially men. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But what we don't realize is that back then, you know, now most of the time we're wearing something close to eight ounce Lycra. Back then it was like five or six ounce Lycra and the, the really thin. And then the, the seat pads back then, they weren't really padded. It was just a little piece of leather and they didn't come up very far in front. So they were, they were pretty, um, yeah. Yeah. Aggressive. Yeah, that was, obscene. yeah, totally. And so, yeah, it was, it was crazy. They, they made one size only. And they were just waist length because they were so stretchy. They just couldn't make enough of them and just uh, just took off. So that was uh, the, the start of Lycra. And then in 81, uh, he made the first colored Lycra shorts, which wasn't necessarily a good thing. They were just like bright turquoise. And the first guy to wear colored shorts in the Pro Peloton is a sales rep for us today. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's got another year till retirement, but amazing story there too. Then in the, what, 82 is when he brought sublimation printing to cycling. So up until then, any logos were always either flocked or, or embroidered. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Maurizio uh, had a heart attack at 45 years old. That was in 90, 95, no, 47 years old for the, your listeners that are doing the math. Yeah. And uh, so for eight, nine years, the, the brand kind of bounced around and, and 
uh, it was almost in bankrupt. So our company bought it. So I moved to, to Italy in 2000 with a company called Manifattura Valcismon. Mm-hmm. So thank you for saying for those, it and not making me it took a while to although say. I could I could probably like Manifattura Valcismon. Good. I don't know, maybe well, that was a little French. I don't know. I have like sometimes a French accent when I speak other languages. <laughs> That's pretty good. And so uh, with the, the original brand in, in Money Fatal is Sportful, who you see on Peter Sagan Cycling Clothing. And we bought the Castelli brand basically out of bankruptcy in 2004 and, and tried to bring it back to, to its older glory. And that's so. where you came in. Exactly. You came on board right at this point where since we're talking about the brand and the evolution and the history where you really had to take this brand, a dying brand, and bring it to life. So how did that work for you? And what were some of the things that you did when you came on board? Well, I'd, I'd like to be able to claim that it was some stroke of genius, but it, it really wasn't. First thing I did when uh, I took over the brand was to do a survey of everything from cyclists to sales reps to our dealers, distributors, and ask people what they thought of the brand. Because it, the brand had been, the guy that had been running the brand had kind of wanted to reposition it as a I can best describe it as a Patagonia of cycling, so more okay. of a lifestyle travel brand, you know, technical but not to the extreme. And and it's actually a, a great consumer insight. I mean, it's been done by some other brands with with great effect. But you're to try to shoehorn the technical performance race brand into something that is not was a big cause of the struggles. And uh, so. I asked people what they really wanted from the brand and, and just consistently, consistently people are looking for performance, innovation, and design. So all we really did is took it back towards roots, what Maurizio had done with it and gave people what they wanted from the brand. So there was a lot of execution to it, but you know, under, understanding, I think this is key for a brand is to understand what your brand means to people, Right. which in some cases it means making your brand means something to people. In our case, people already knew what it was. They knew what they wanted it to be. And so it was quite a bit easier just having to give people what they wanted from it. Because Castelli already had a reputation amongst the pros as a top brand, an innovator with high-tech apparel, with its like shorts, seat pads that were game-changing for the sport and so much more. Also, manufacturing everything handmade, printing on the kits. I mean, these are like, it was almost like an artisan brand, but you had to grow. Do you still manufacture everything on site? All of the fabrics, all the components come here to our headquarters. And then we do all of the development, all the patterning here. And then mostly we use outside factories of which one is that we own that actually do the cutting and the, the stitching and the finishing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, every single little component that goes into it right down to the yeah, the, the thread, the size label, the, I mean, even having that big long book of carrying content that we studied hard so we could make it so you can tear it out easier. Yeah. So yeah, we obsess over all that stuff. When you came on board, what was happening in terms of the product and what you were already making? And then how did you take that and expand? Yeah. So it was, it was a little bit lost because there's nobody in the company that actually rode kind of misdirected in terms of what it was in terms of trying to make the brand mean something that it wasn't. So we tried to get it back and said, you know, we want to make the most innovative performance clothing for the cyclist seeking maximum performance. And there's actually a extra word or a clause we put in there going to have an emotional connection. So 
you know, immediately that sets us down to, it kind of really, you can narrow it down to just speed and emotion. So speed can mean so many things. It can mean being able to ride better protected in the winter. So you're fast in July. And so, yeah, we started down on, on that road, which meant get, getting back into pro racing. So that meant going to the teams that from what Castelli had done the previous years, we'd call it the pro teams and they would hang up on us. Oh my God. Yeah. We found the Sonia Duval team. So I'll be forever grateful to Mauro Gennetti to give us a chance because he shouldn't have. <laughs> but What happened that you guys just weren't putting out what they needed? Like what was the deal? Well, I mean, there were some product problems and there was a, a one team that they'd sponsored but never paid for. So that only lasted for three months. So it was, yeah, it was a little dirty. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's just supplying to pro teams is hard. Right. And so, you know, the teams kind of talk amongst themselves and they don't want to have clothing be a problem for the team. So if, if, if your reputation isn't that as a reliable sponsor, it's, it's harder to get in. So we, yeah, we had to prove ourselves right from, yeah, dig ourselves out of the hole. But um, no, we had an early insight um, that I think was a kind of a game changer for us when Zip Wheels came out with their dimples on the on the, the wheels, yeah. claiming it made them four watts faster. I had this insight of like, let's put dimples on a road jersey. And that was, I never imagined the rabbit hole would take us on it because it's not quite as easy as putting dimples on a, on a jersey, but starting to see what kind of performance gains we could get could get from uh, making more aerodynamic road clothing. We worked on fit onto materials. We started to understand more of how air flows out of our body. From the very early stages of it, we wanted to make it so that you didn't really have to compromise performance, comfort, utility of the pieces. So we really wanted to make it free speed, but it's, it's I mean, we, in the early days, of course, we could get huge improvements. We were talking like four, savings of four or 5% of total energy for, for the entire system of rider on the road. I mean, that's, that's the kinds of gains they were getting from EPO back then. So I never even thought about that in terms of something that you wear on the road, like having that kind of aerodynamics in just your Jersey or your shorts or what you're wearing. I mean, I think about it when it comes to bike or the wheels or other components of cycling, but I never thought about it that way till I started riding more and yeah, I mean, for me, it doesn't make a difference, but I mean, you know, yeah. you know maybe it would. <laughs> I don't know. I definitely find it more comfortable. <laughs> no, and, and one of the advantages is that the clothing fitting close to the body actually makes it work better in terms of wicking and moisture and uh, temperature management. So right. even for those days, we're not worried about pure speed. I mean, going fast is, is automatically more fun, yeah. but also being more comfortable is, is a, an expected side benefit. We're going to do a deep dive into the products in a little bit, but I do want to get into your personal story mm. as to like, how did you get into cycling? I mean, I know that you're a cyclist. So where did that begin for you? Yeah, I was, I was that kid that started riding a bike at four years old and, and growing up in the country in Oregon was always on the dirt bike all summer long. And, and for eighth grade graduation, my parents gave me a 10 speed as we called them back then. And uh, I think I was 14 when I saw this flyer for a race and I didn't even know the bike. Somehow I had this vague idea of, no, of being aware of a tour de France, but I never had seen anybody, never knew anybody that did races. So my mom drove me to this race at 14 years old and it was terrible. <laughs> and, uh, so it just stayed on it from then. And it's, it's always been a passion. I never raced full time, but, you know, worked right away up to category two and 
won an occasional race, but it was mediocre at best. But the good thing in hindsight is that I didn't have any natural talent and I didn't really like to train, but I always had, you know, my equipment was top notch uh-huh. just to try to get those kind of gains. And yeah. I think that that curiosity of what equipment can can do kind of led me to, to what I do now. You're from Portland, Oregon and got your start at Nike. Now you are the global brand manager at Castelli in Italy. Where did your marketing career begin and how did you land in Italy? Yeah, so out of uh, college, we're a business and French major. Went to work at Nike, and initially in the sales operations group. And after five years there in, in Beaverton, Portland, I had an opportunity to do, to do a couple of years at the, in Nike's European headquarters in Holland. So that was great fun as a 20-something-year-old at the yeah. uh, Nike expat deal. It was pretty sweet back then. And, uh, and when I came back from Holland is when I moved into product marketing at Nike, the product line manager for sandals and cycling shoes. And yeah, so I was back in Portland for three years and the wife and I had a itch to go do something crazy and, and adventurous while we were still young before we put down roots. So we said, let's move to Italy. So we did. Is she also a cyclist? Yeah. Yeah, she is. Was she cycling back then too? or She's done it. Not seriously training, but um, you know, there's, there was a lot of years there where she was faster than me most of the year. So <laughs> She, that's great. she has some talent. Yeah, that's great. It's something we something we enjoy together. Now, were you a runner also? You worked at Nike, or was that just it was like the place to work? Being from Portland, like out of college. Yeah, no, I had avoided that when I was at Nike. But then, you know, uh, I turned forty and read all these reports that you got to give some either strength or or something to, to pound your your bones to keep them strong as you get older i got into running for a bit and it was it was it was great i, I gotta still have some uh unmet goals there but now it's mostly riding yeah and so you started on a 10 speed and now you're in italy working for castelli so take me through your cycling journey in terms of, you know, are you on gravel now? Are you still road cycling? Are you on a fixie? What's going on over there in terms of cycling and where you are personally with your riding? Crazy story, though, of my story is that, so that initial 10 speed of steel frame, you know, 28 pound or whatever. A couple of years later, I, I knew that I really liked this. So our club had the opportunity to get, uh, we had a super deal with the importer of Basso bikes. So I got the bike frame, ordered all these company little parts in, built up this bike and, and bought my first real cycling jersey. So the real, real cycling jersey was a Renault Elf Jeton, Greg LeMond jersey made by Castelli. And this Basso bike, I live now on the same road as the owner of Basso Bikes. It's a little tiny alleyway. <laughs> so That's cool. It's crazy what would happen later. But no, um, today I'm doing, yeah, a lot of gravel, more gotten into some of the longer distance stuff still jump into the uh, occasional ground fondo but it's we have so many roads here and mountains and it's it's fun to explore and uh ooh, that's nice sounds beautiful so what bikes are you riding these days i'm sure you have quite a few <laughs> no no the, the uh short rotation now includes a pinarello willier factor and cervello and then on the gravel is mostly on an open so i have yeah, I've got a bit of a substance abuse problem. Yeah, no, I, uh, I was watching bikes. one of your interviews and you were talking about how many helmets you have. 
I caught the cycling shopping bug this summer. I'm a triathlete and I've been doing that for, I don't know, 10 plus years. And I spent the whole summer really just on my bike because of COVID. And I just wanted to get out of the city and running was just really, I mean, despite the fact that a lot of people left New York City, a lot of people also stayed and they weren't in their office. They were on walking. And that's great. That's wonderful. But it just, I couldn't run because I didn't want to be close to people. So I got on my bike and I started getting out of the city and I noticed for the first time in all the time that I've been riding that everyone has different helmets and shoes. And I was like, wait, I know that I'm seriously into the sport and I'm riding, but I had this moment, like an aha moment where I needed to level up my cycling apparel. And so I was like, wait, how do these other cyclists have shoes and helmets that everything matches and their kits? And But I didn't realize like how how far it went. Like I've got lots of shoes for going to the office. That is not a new concept for me. You know, I have tons of clothing and things that I wear. But when it came to cycling, it was like one pair of shoes, one helmet. So that's my story into like my obsession with now leveling up my fashion game. But I understand the need to have multiple bikes, multiple helmets. So and you said you started with cycling shoes at Nike. I didn't even know that they really made cycling shoes. Yeah, they did some from the early, from the late 80s up through. Yeah, so one of my last projects at Nike was actually we we did a licensing program to to Trek to uh, let them do the cycling shoes. So and then uh, yeah, and then they did a little bit still through Lance uh, through his first retirement. But yes, I mean the cycling industry is such a small niche business for for a big company like Nike. So thank goodness because it gives a space for us. So yeah, since you've been cycling for a couple of decades, what are some of your favorite places to ride, and what are some of your biggest challenges that you've had over the years? I mean, just where we are in in Italy about an hour north of Venice, right at the edge of Dolomites, there is an infinite number of roads and it's amazing. So I'd have to say I live like in my favorite place to ride. So that's pretty cool. Farther up into the mountains, the big Dolomites, you get up there a few times a year. That's really cool. French Alps, south of France, the area around Girona in Spain is amazing. And then last, what, a year ago, a little over a year ago, I did the coast ride with the Ngamba tours. So you get a chance to do that, do it. It's amazing. In four days, you ride from San Francisco to LA. That's cool. I've always wanted it's, to do that ride, ride, actually. Yeah. Do it, do it, do it. Do it. It's yeah. in January, uh, so there's no cars on the road. It's a little bit cold, but it's amazing. There's gear for that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Are you on Zwift at all? Like, are you? I know Castelli is on Zwift, and they have rides, and I can unlock a kit. But I know, so that's a bit of a yeah. Okay. Where I live, like last night, I went out for a couple hours on the gravel after work, so I got two kilometers and then I'm a single track and I've got 4,000 lumens on my bike and I've got clothing for every possible condition. So no, no, I'm not a Swift. <laughs> what I love about it. So yes, I mean, I get that. Some friends of mine are doing a long ride this weekend on Swift and I'm like, I need to be outside. I definitely like being yeah. outside whenever and wherever possible. And this summer I also bought a Castelli Como jacket. So that's super warm. I know it's very warm. But I always, I run cold. So I definitely, it definitely allowed me to cycle further out into the season, which was great because that's all I really wanted to do was ride. If it's 45 degrees or more, I'll ride. Anything less than that, I'm a little cold. What are some of the key things that someone should think about that maybe they aren't a pro cyclist and they don't know about how to dress? Because it's different than running 
and it's different than doing a triathlon. So what are some of the sort of suggestions or tips and advice you could give about layering up and layering down? Yeah. I mean, the summer is easy because shorts and a jersey, right. it's hard to go wrong. Right. No, but in winter clothing though, it, it's, it's a little more tricky because number one, first thing is to dress in layers. So get something on the outside to, to cut the wind. And then layers serve not only for insulation, but also when you do sweat, it, there's less moisture directly on the skin. And then definitely cover the extremities. And sometimes if your feet are cold, it's because you're not covering your legs enough. So get warm enough tights. And the same thing with your arms, because like if your body will shut down and not send blood to the extremities, if it's got to go through something cold to get there, right? Your, your body is more warm. Strangely, sometimes you can go to lighter booties or gloves by dressing warmer in the core. A big mistake that you'll see people make with dressing, especially the upper body, is strangely enough, dressing too warm. Because if you dress too warm, then you sweat, then you get wet, then you get cold. And you, you're in your mind, you're like, oh, I got cold. I need to dress even warmer. Right. And so you get in this vicious circle of dressing warmer and getting wetter and getting colder. So sometime, oddly enough, by letting that moisture out, getting layers that aren't too warm, you'll stay drier and stay warmer. Do you have to dress like, like it's going to be 10 degrees colder, do you think, when you're on the bike? Like when you're planning out your outfit for your ride for the day? And you're talking about layering, like how do you sort of approach it in terms of if you're going for a long ride and you're not going to be back for hours? Yeah. No, I would, I would kind of like uh, split it up into kind of the 10 degree increments, right? In the thirties, right. I'm going to cover up with, I mean, definitely a full protection, windproof uh, jacket, Yeah. either heavier tights or even at the lower thirties, go to a windproof tight. Um, in the forties, you can start to lighten up a little bit, but you still want to, you know, be pretty well dressed into the fifties, depending as in the fifties, it starts to become important. If it's a nice sunny day, it'll warm up right. a lot, but that's when it 50s, gets tricky. you still want to be covered up. Yeah. And then, you know, the intensity plays into it a lot you, with intensity. You can keep yourself pretty warm and drop down a layer. So, yeah. Obviously Castelli has amazing high tech apparel for all of this. I mean, you designed one of the most revolutionary weatherproof products in the world of cycling, which is called the GABA. So maybe talk to me a little bit about this GABA jersey, and then we can riff off of that into all the other amazing styles that you have. Yeah, no, GABA was uh, this one of those stories that kind of only comes along once every eon. No, so we were sponsoring the Cervelo test team, so a leading team back in, this is in 2009, but admittedly our, our clothing for cold and wet conditions wasn't really up to snuff. And so we did a, a focus group with these pro riders and we spent 45 minutes talking about the rain jacket. And then yeah. this Norwegian rider, his name is Gabriel Roch, he's a director of sports team for the uh, Ineos Grenadiers now. Right. This We did this focus group in August, and I think in eight months with those guys, he'd never really said a word, so he's pretty quiet. And all of a sudden, he kind of puts up his hand and says, yeah, but sometimes when it's raining, it's not that cold. And if you put on a jacket, you know, it's big, it's flopping around. It takes so much energy to push it through the wind. So what I do is just put on this waterproof vest. So he goes up into his room, and he gets this thing. It was from his previous team. And so we started talking about dressing for rainy conditions that weren't so cold. So he kind of highlighted this need. And, and so as he's expressing this need, I see this 
this vest would, wasn't fitting very well. So it's like, right. what if we made it more aerodynamic? He's like, yeah, it'd be better. Well, what, does the water come through your sleeves? What if we made it short sleeve? So anyway, he gives this idea and we come back and we start to work on this prototype and, and our design and designers and developers were kind of struggling on, on how to make this thing. And, and I remember I told them, look, this is, let's make it just really focus on what these pro riders need because they need it, but we're not ever going to sell any of these. Right. Like, who's going to buy a, a short, who's going to buy a short sleeve rain jacket? Nobody. And so, yeah, we did it. And when we delivered these pieces to the riders, people, the riders are like putting on and they're touching them, you know, they're kind of feeling how it just like, it's like a wetsuit and they went nuts over it. And I thought it was kind of weird. Um, and then the first year we put it in the collection, we sold 268 pieces around the world. And so, you know, I felt pretty good that my, my crystal ball had, had seen that this wasn't a commercial piece. Right. But then uh, the 2013 season throughout the spring, every single race those poor guys did was in the pouring rain. And I think every one of those 268 pieces we'd sold ended up in the hands of a pro rider because they all had them with blacked out logos. And that's, that's where it exploded. But what, what Gabriel Ross did for us is he helped us to understand that for cycling you know, the, it's, it's not quite like mountaineering where your goal is to keep all the water out no matter what, because right. it's a question of life and death. In cycling, you're going to be wet from the outside or wet from the inside right. to some extent. So let's try to reduce that moisture and make it so you're still comfortable and you can still perform. And so that just led us down to so many different roads of how to make stuff that keeps most of the moisture out, but is great for all conditions. And you work with a lot of teams. What teams are you working with right now? I mean, that's your roots and it's something that you continue to do. Yeah, um, we've kind of focused it down. We like to just work with one team and that team is Ineos Grenadiers. So yeah, it's a pretty good pretty good team to work with. That's where you're doing all the wind tunnel testing. Correct, yeah. So yeah, we just a continuous project to try to improve on aerodynamics, but there's, there's we're still seeing gains that are insane. With Ineos, you're designing some really cool products as well. You don't always see all those things out on the racks at the stores, but they're on your website. So maybe give me, some, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe some of my listeners can get a competitive advantage with these skin suits. <laughs> exactly. I mean, obviously on the time trials, that's for a long time, that's been a, a aerodynamics game. And, you know, we, we have the world time trial champion, who's also the world record holder on the, the 4,000 meter event on the track, Filippo Ghana. And he's, he's amazing to, I mean, she's just, such a big engine, but he's also really good to work with us. In fact, we're back in the wind tunnel with him on Monday with some stuff for the Tour de France and for or yeah, and for the Olympic Games. Yeah, always pushing on the time trial stuff. But I think where we've made improvements that are more applicable to you and me is is on the road stuff. Finding ways where we can make stuff that cheats the wind but is still comfortable and functional. And on both of those also has led on our triathlon gear we've kind of split up the triathlon gear to the elite stuff so you you've got to be pushing over 25 miles an hour to really tap into that stuff like cam Worf uses yeah yeah so yeah i see the face you made is like, <laughs> exactly um no but then there's I'm working towards it <laughs> exactly but for maybe on a for people like you and me <laughs> we have we have the age grouper kind of stuff yeah, that yeah. it's amazing because like the aerodynamics we need at from 20 to 25 miles an hour is quite a bit different than what they need over 25 miles an hour. So we've split that off because what we found is the inflection point on a lot of these fabrics and constructions is at those common uh, cycling speeds. Like what we give to Ghana, there's probably a hundred professionals that can 
push hard enough to make that stuff work. I mean, he's got to be up well over 50K an hour, like over 32, 33, 34 miles an hour to really get into the, to the sweet spot for that. That's interesting. I love all of your new colors and kits that you have on your website for for spring. Beautiful. So where do you get the inspiration for the colors and the, the prints that you're designing, like all those things beyond just the shape and the technology and the aerodynamics? Yeah. I mean, you, you really touched on there's kind of two parts of the business, right? Yeah. There's a, the very, very focused engineering, let's call it. Yeah. And then there's the part that's more design. And there we, uh, our designer's name, her, her last name is actually Castelli, which is kind of surprising because there's no relation whatsoever. But Maria Teresa Castelli, she's been designing for us for, for quite a while. And, and but most of her other customers are from fashion, everything. She's worked with Giorgio Armani, Fendi, Ralph Lauren, uh, Louis Vuitton. So, and she's always kind of kept a foot into sport because she thinks that her, her analogy is doing sport is like doing architecture, whereas pure fashion is like doing interior design. And the interior design informs the architecture, whereas the architecture informs interior design. So she thinks it rounds out her her abilities and and so it's awesome what she brings to it and then her her kind of alter ego is our our lead product developer sonia who she started out in with castelli by stitching buttonholes in pockets on wool shorts back in 1984 was it something like that it sounds like an incredible company to work for yeah it's it's fun it's fun so yeah to, to have um, Sonia that's done every possible thing in product to have just to like anything you can think of. She knows how to make it happen. And then Maria Teresa that brings in the design aspect from just having this opening to, to such a big world of design. You can tell. And it's equal. It's both on the men's and the women's side. The design is just, it's great when you have, for someone, I my background was in fashion and I love, I'm very athletic and sporty, but I don't like to have to compromise either thing. So that's what I love about Castelli is that there's fashion and you look good. And then there's like real functionality to the pieces that's like really game changing. Yep. Sonia and Maria are the two women behind the design and the product development. And you're on the tech side and innovation and overall global brand concepts and working with the teams. Mm-hmm. And then overseeing the sales and marketing teams and yeah. You're always developing new fabrics and new technologies. How do you know what's next that you're going to develop? What product? Obviously started with the iconic GABA and you've got body paint, which is a seamless fabric that, you know, when you're riding, it doesn't ride up on your leg, on the shorts, all of those kind of things. Like, so how do you know what's next? Yeah. So that's kind of, kind of a big question. Good question. <laughs> no, so the first thing with the teams is kind of crazy because I mean, I could probably count on one hand the number of times that riders have come up with truly a an innovative product, right? Right. Products, the riders are really good of like, I'd like my shorts a centimeter longer, or sometimes they'll give more useful feedback, but it's right. more like a product, product testing kind of feedback. Occasionally you'll, you'll find that rider who's, you know, it can imagine a product, but still being with those guys and hearing what they're, sometimes they'll express a need rather than just describe a product. Right. And that's where it really comes from is like identifying a, cons- a need that the consumer has that the cyclist has he she might not even realize they have it right a lot of our ideas come internally here just in our headquarters office i, I did a 
back of the napkin calculation, we have something like 3 million kilometers of cycling experience internally. We can come up a lot of our ideas on our own, but 95% of the stuff we come up with is coming from identifying an improvement or a need that we can do. Those ideas usually come to you when you're out riding and then coming back and trying to engineer that. Very rarely does it come from uh, seeing a new fabric or something. Occasionally you'll see a fabric is kind of mind opening to new opportunities. But in terms of really like how we get these product ideas, first off, it's, it's important to remember that it's, it's amazing because we have head to toe and we got the entire body in everything from 20 degrees up to 110 and rain and snow and everything. So our possibilities are just endless and types of cycling, everything from racing to recreational. So if you break it down, I mean, a lot of the times the stuff will come into areas of comfort, which is huge. Yes. Yeah. Comfort is, is on that. Aerodynamics, lightweight protection, usually weather protection, but most of what you see kind of brings together something in those kind of areas. So, you know, comfort, covers everything right. everything from the seat pad to the fabrics to the construction to some of the new things we're doing of just eliminating seams uh doing some uh engineered knit where we can put all the components directly into the fabric without stitching it together seamless is big so yeah there's kind of no end to, to, to stuff we can do and then it's a lot of times like you, you mentioned body paint it's an idea we had back in 2009 2010 to try to engineer the fabric to get rid of some of the components that we were stitching in or applying back then. But it's only today that the technology has been able to catch up to the fabric technology that lets us do what we really wanted to do with it. I noticed this summer on my shopping spree, all of the great ROS apparel and Perfetto jackets. What's the story behind these two collections? Because living in New York, those are things I would wear. And I think a lot of New Yorkers would be really psyched to learn about jackets and clothing that are warm, but also layers. So perfetto, which means uh, perfect in Italian, is an outgrowth of the original GABA. So GABA came along and we said, this is great for a short sleeve jacket, but it'd be more useful to more people if we did a long sleeve one. Uh, so we made the long sleeve GABA. And a couple of years later, we got a, a nice little email from her lawyer in Denmark saying that her client has trademarked GABA. Had, I mean, it was a trademark that was around long before that. But going back to the GABA story, you know, we, we were convinced we would never sell any of them. When GABA, nicknamed for Gabriel Rosh, when he came up with this idea, we, I did a quick Google search, no, nothing came up. So when we actually worked with these guys and did a licensing deal for the original GABA, the short sleeve jacket, but the rest of the family, we had to find a new name for, and everybody kept saying this jacket is absolutely perfect. Yeah. So perfect, perfetto. Yeah. It's stuck. So there's a family of products called the perfetto family of which the GABA is a product. Got it. So yeah. So the perfetto jacket you talk about is a long sleeve GABA. And yeah, like you, it's my favorite product, my use, most used product. It's the most sold product in our collection. And it's just, I mean, if you layer underneath, you can take it down to 25 degrees. If you put a light base layer on underneath and open up the vents. I mean, I was out this last weekend in the low fifties going up and down the hills. So it's just an incredible range of use. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was just thinking, yeah. And that Perfetto Ross ROS name, ROS is rain or shine. And that's the amazing thing about that jacket is we made it so that it's the best jacket we ever made. We tried to make it like that for dry conditions, but then 
with the Gore-Tex Infinium membrane and the water repellent finishes and the construction, it's essentially waterproof. Mm-hmm. Um, I say essentially waterproof because if you're going to go out there for three or four hours in pouring yeah. rain, you want something more. But if you get caught in, in an hour of rain or, or you know, drizzly kind of day, you're going to stay completely dry inside except for your, what you're sweating on the inside. So right. yeah, ROS, and it, that you'll see that uh, little stamp of approval that we give to a number of products through the collection down to tights and gloves and stuff. And it's, the whole idea behind ROS is that rain or shine, it's the best stuff you could ever use in the sunny days, but it's also really good in some water. So it's not, we don't hold it to a 100% waterproof standard, but how many of us are actually riding in those conditions? Very few. So, Def- yeah, I don't think so. But I think you know maybe messengers in New York City or you know real diehards. I think it's great that on all of your hang tags and all the clothing you have, the, and on your website and all the language and literature that you have, the degrees that you should be wearing it or the information that's so helpful. At least for me, because I never know how to dress. So. Castelli is also world-renowned for designing custom kits for pro athletes, cycling and tri-clubs, and teams. This is something you've been doing since day one, right? Yeah, since forever. In our custom program, we have the same exact same stuff as we do for Team Ineos. I mean, some of the brand new, you know, sometimes it takes a year or two to get it cycled into to custom because there's a whole commercialization process. But yeah, um, I mean, that's our goal is to make stuff for the you know, when we're really doing everything right, we're making stuff that's the best stuff possible for the pros, but it's something that the average cyclist can benefit from. When it comes to the custom kit, how does it work? I've never designed a custom kit. The easiest thing is you, you go up yeah, on, our, on our website, you can download, download the templates, or if you're not much of a designer, you can just send in whatever you have. You know, if you like, I like blue. Yeah. Well, um, our, our custom designers can take it from there and send in the logos you have and we'll make up some design proposals and do a quotation. We need 10 pieces per model. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in non-COVID times, we're usually delivering in the four to five week range. It's been slowed down a little bit here with COVID. How has COVID affected your business? Because I know a lot of stores were out of product and in New York, most bike shops sold out. They had no bikes. People were like, bikes were on the black market. Yeah. It was hard to get a bike. And, uh, you know, so it, it exploded last year about uh, April, yeah, late April, just around the world kind of took off. And so, yeah, we pretty much ran out of stuff last summer. And then this fall, we thought we were prepared for it, but we kind of ran out of stuff in by October. This summer, the the orders are quite a bit bigger, but we're still dealing with spotty problems of supply, whether you know, it might be just a particular fabric or some right. trim, or one area in a factory has an outbreak of a few cases. Transport is a big issue right now. So yeah, it's, it's slowed. I mean, we're still getting, we've been able to get a lot more product to, mar- to the market this year than last year, but probably every guest has the same story of, it's, we're getting through it, but it's challenging. I just wonder, you know, I had on the podcast, my friend Nelson, who owns Strictly Bicycles here in New York City. And he was just talking about how he ran out of bicycles. And mostly he ran out of bikes for kids, which, you know, 
everyone was buying bikes for them. And I just wonder, you know, everybody has different things happen. But I was, I did notice when I was shopping that a lot, not at Castelli, but just in general, like a lot of things were sold out and unavailable. And obviously, I was understanding of what was happening, because we're all in the same situation. But I was just curious, like, have stores gotten all their deliveries? You know, what's going on? But it's still kind of, we're coming out of it slowly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, it looks like it will probably be a little bit slowed slowed down all through 2021 because just supply chains are so long. Yeah. I mean, I think the buying things online has been a lot easier. I love supporting local business and I'm sure you do too, but things online have been a lot easier. I don't know why. I just found a living in Italy. So like what, what we don't get here is all the U S junk food. And there's a new store online site in France that brings all the American junk food. So I just, my wife said it showed up today. I've got boxes of, of pop tarts and Doritos. And, oh my God. Goldfish. And then, and, 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 uh, no, uh, Dr. Pepper. Oh my so God. It's going to be a good weekend. We're like moving, we're moving away from that direction. We've been eating. We're all, we're all trying to get healthy over here, but I totally get that. I mean, <laughs> I, if you gave me the option to have like European chocolate over American chocolate any day, I'd take it. So I understand. <laughs> I under, Yeah. I didn't go a year without a pop tart, especially the cinnamon brown sugar ones. No, those are really Just... good. Those are my favorite, actually. <laughs> I haven't had a pop tart in a long time, but we do have a 13 year old in the house and I don't know if she's eating them, but she's definitely into, there's some other gummy sour patch thing she's into, but I wouldn't eat that. Chocolate is my kryptonite over here. So, but back to cycling for one second, I just want to ask you because, you know, and back to my shopping obsession and my fashion obsession, and as somebody who's a triathlete and not dialed into the world of cycling in a way that I know what should match like when you go to a meeting you know your belt should match your bag and your bag should match your shoes so like how does it work with cycling kits what's supposed to match what's supposed to not match what are the rules of thumb okay so i think the the most important thing is kind of do what you want all right fine that's what everyone right. says no <laughs> but, but no but uh but yes okay so let's get into the, the more details right okay yeah so if you're over 30 your shorts go over your leg warmers and your leg warmers go over your socks. Wait, come on. If you're under 30, yeah. it's the opposite. So your leg warmers over your shorts and your socks over your leg warmers. Okay. So that's a joke. <laughs> I, I know. It's rid- no, no, it's serious. It's no, ridiculous, really? but it's serious. Oh. Yeah, that's what they do. That's what oh, they my do. God. Yeah, beyond that. I mean, it, to me, like in uh, baggy shorts only if you're going off-road. But, yeah. you know, even that's starting to change. Yeah. And if you're riding on gravel, then or dual suspension mountain bike, then a t-shirt's just fine. Mm-hmm. So, do you match your helmet to your shoes, or do you, or you just, it's just up to you how you do it? So my helmet gets matched to a little bit of the more based on the terrain. So like oh, my okay. kind of dark red cask Strade Bianca helmet only gets used on gravel, or unless I'm using gravelly earth tones, and the new cask protone and that kind of primer gray looks really good with black. Or if you like all black, then I got my, my Smith helmet, of course. Yeah, so Smith is that cool. one works well. So a little matte black. So a good thing though is like if you're gonna wear like a solid jersey, solid shorts, then then jazz it up with your socks. Yes. Are there different sock lengths that are trending at the moment? Yeah, it's it's getting longer and longer. I thought that we'd like reached peak sock, but no, it's uh, 
seems like to just the bottom of the calf is, is where it's at now. Where, where does that come from? Well, it started, right. The first one that kind of like popularized, it was Armstrong and it looked ridiculous. And then, yeah. but no, I, I mean, cause we, you know, we sell different length socks and, and every year you see that the, the sales tends more just grows. Yeah. So, and then I have one last uh, like cycling geek question, which is when did men start wearing pink in racing? Did it start with Giro or like, wow, like, do you know where that started? So I don't, I have no idea where it started, but this, uh, you know, we just did the kits for the Giro d'Italia this year, which we sponsor. And so it's got a little logo on there, 90th year of the Giro d'Italia pink jersey. So it's been going on at least, well, this is the 90th edition with the, yeah. with the pink jersey. They, they skipped the wars. So it goes back to the 1920s then. Yeah. A friend of mine yeah. said he thinks that it was from the newspaper printing the kits. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, so the, the, the journey tell you started out by Luggets at the Dolo Sport with the, with a pink newspaper. So that's why they started with pink, but. That's funny. All right. And then back to you, what's on your bucket list in terms of training or cycling or races this year? Yeah. Short term, we've got a, supposed to have a 700 kilometer gravel event coming up in two weeks from tomorrow, mm-hmm. but with the COVID situation, they still say they're going to do it, but I think I'm going to skip it. I'm still looks like there's a good chance we'll still be in the red zone. So in that case, it'll get postponed. So whether it's an official event or not, it's amazing because we do it over, over a weekend and it's mostly flat, but it just takes on all kinds of back roads through our Veneto region of Italy. So wow. yeah, that's, that's kind of my big event for this year. And then this summer, do some bike packing with the wife and uh, yeah, hope we'll get to do, hopefully we'll get to do a few races by late summer. No, but just say, uh, I think, COVID's been good for a lot of us of realizing that it's also good just to go slow. Yeah. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to hurt. You don't have to be training for something. Sometimes right. just, just being out there and enjoying it is, yeah. is the best thing. I think for me too, I mean, I think cycling took on a new role in my life this summer. Like it, it made me feel free. I was out there just zoning out and zoning in. And like, it has always been about training for me about what race I have and how many miles I have to do and how fast I have to go. And, and I just said, you know what, I'm just going to move and who cares? There's no races and I don't care. And I'm not professional athlete and all those things. But I think that it took COVID to kind of like open my eyes to not being so serious and chilling out a little bit, you know, and I think that's like across the board for work and everything else. It's like, just have fun and enjoy being in the moment. Right. Very, very much. Yeah. Strangely is like, Okay, I haven't done any like official races, but I see Strava PRs that I never imagined. And then I wasn't even trying to go hard. So yeah. something's working without even trying. So it's good. Yeah, no, a friend of mine last weekend said, you're going so fast. I had no idea. And he's like, I can usually, he's like, I'm usually so much faster than you. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, either I got really slow or you got really fast. I'm like, I'm hoping it's the latter. You have been working at Castelli for over two decades and simultaneously an avid cyclist. What are some lessons you've learned on the road that you bring into your work day-to-day from cycling? Actually, any, any sort of sport teaches you the importance of having goals, Yeah, having possibly multiple goals to be flexible to, even if you don't win one race or perform like you do, you're going to get some sort of result as fulfilling building a plan to get to it. Cause you know, you have to prepare results don't just happen uh, automatically. And, uh, however, I think that 
you know, having this sport that's also healthy, it's a great way to detach and yeah, just as a, it's a mental health thing as well. Yeah. Sometimes I concentrate on it because it's too easy since cycling is part of my job that, you know, if sometimes it's easy to get into it so that when I'm riding, it feels like I'm still working. Yeah. So sometimes I have to make a conscious choice. It's like, this is, this is fun and that's it. And that's enough. Yeah. I think it's important, especially since it is what you do for work. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm super glad this happened though. I've been listening to it in the car back and forth to work and it's really cool stuff in there. So I listened to your, when you talk to Strictly and to, to Joe Friel and yeah. that guy's amazing. I'd like I know. to hear more of him. And then, I have his book yeah. behind me, his Ride Inside book. I, I mean, I have the triathlon book. I have like so many of his books that I've read, but yeah, he's amazing. But no, I like how you bring together the health, sport, business, marketing, brands. I mean, Super interesting mix of, of uh, people. So Thank you. That is my life. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 